0: Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists with ISST accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers, Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to What's the Schemata. This is the quasi-monthly deep dive into schema therapy uh, and if you're interested in schema therapy uh training and things like that you might want to look at schema therapy training online which is our website myself and rob have i have a lot of uh, material there courses uh we we'll are also constantly adding to this to the uh to the suite of uh, materials so you might want to look at this as well today we have a very special international guest we have scott kellogg from uh new york um rob do you want to maybe introduce? Yeah, sure. uh, scott.
1: It's actually Dr. Scott Kellogg, who comes to us from the Transformational Chairwork Psychotherapy Project in New York City and via private practice in New York City. Welcome, Scott.
2: Thank you. Glad to to be here.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've been a founding father of uh, the schemotherapy movement being, you know, at the the ground zero of uh, schemotherapy. So you're a founding father.
2: Hmm. Would you consider actually, yourself? With that? <laughs> in New York City, I'm actually second generation. Okay. There's, a whole group, there's a whole group of therapists before me that were with Jeff. Yeah, in the early days, and I'm kind of the next, the next generation. The next generation. Oh, fantastic! How did all that come about? Is that okay? Like, like how how did all that come
1: about? Can you explain that? First generation, second generation, and maybe like your role in that and. I mean, the first time I ran into you, Scott, like your name, there was an article I believe on like the use of chair work in schema, and and you went into some depth in how we can use chair work in in a schema therapy context. I think it was for an article on borderline personality disorder. Right? Do you um,
2: remember that? I do. It that's the one I wrote. Where, well, I didn't write it with Jeff. I wrote it, but it was Jeff's ideas basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's been a that's been a kind of a hit. That uh, that article but well, say so my story was i I I went to a training at Jeff Center in nineteen ninety one with uh Bill Sanderson I don't know if you know that name but he's uh he's kind of a, more of a CBT therapist but he was a, he was a trainer in Jeff Center so and uh and at the end of it Jeff came and spoke about borderline personality disorder and I and I had worked in an inpatient hospital and stuff and borderline was basically a, an insult you know um wasn't really diagnosed as more like an insult in those days. Yeah. Yeah. In those days. And Jeff spoke with so much compassion about borderline patients and so much caring. I was just really awestruck by that. Um, it really, I mean, I can still feel it now. I can see him at this, this little room we were in just talking about the patients that way. And, um, I was kind of so sort of the, the end of my grad school journey, but so I began sending him a resume every year <laughs> to get a job with him. Mm-hmm. And in, in 2000, he actually hired me. So <laughs> perseverance paid off eventually. It took be nine was,
1: years, basically.
2: It took me nine years of, of resumes or CVs, but eventually I got hired. And um, so in 2000, when I got hired, it was kind of schema focused therapy was the. You know that was the the model and the schema mode therapy was about was beginning to emerge, and I don't think we really understood the mode model. I think Jeff was talking about it a lot, but it wasn't. I don't think it was so clear to us yet what that would be and how that would play out. Um, so I was there. I was training there. I was seeing patients, and. I didn't think it was—it was going. I was doing okay, but I don't think I was doing great as a therapist. A little anxiety about that, and I think I was being very rigid with the schema focused model. You know, I was not dancing with it so much. i was trying to like get it. Yeah. You know, close your eyes, give me memory, image, you know. <laughs> and you know. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what what to do with that. And and in 20, uh, 2001 I began reading about Gestalt therapy. And at that point, you know, schema therapy was heavily into imagery work, yep. And chair work was sort of on the books, but nobody was really actually doing it. Um, it Was really, you know, Jeff is such a master of imagery, you know. Um, and there, he did these great trainings. We saw the videos, you know, that were in the book, and just amazing things. But I sort of reading about it. Then I, I read uh, Gestalt therapy verbatim by Pearls, and then Process Experiential Therapy by Leslie Greenberg, and I was like. There's something here for me. I just could feel it. And then I um I sort of did two I did two sessions. The first session didn't go well, but the second session I had a breakthrough with a patient. And I had essentially had a one a one-session cure where a guy got over his issues with authority. He he said, Doc, you cured me one week.
1: Uh-huh. I was like, Oh my god,
2: <laughs> I
0: mean, it's the holy grail like, of authority. I mean,
2: like finding the Yeti or something, you know, I was like, yeah. What just happened, you know? So then I was completely completely sold on this and then I just plunged full scale into this um and chair work was a funny thing back in in 2001 it was everybody knew chair work it was a very famous technique but in fact it had really been for various reasons disowned by the gestalt therapy world there was actually nobody really doing it and there were no teachers mm. so I decided you know I want to learn this I would write a paper so I could learn. That's kind of my way of learning. Is writing is mm-hmm. my teacher, you know. Going, reading the literature. So I plunged into um, everything I could find, you know. And back papers from the '60s, Pearls' later work, um, CBT work, Redecision therapy, if you know what that is. I'm not sure mm-hmm. you know what that. Yeah, is. the the, the Goldings. Of kind of, yeah. Right, kind of a precursor to schema therapy, I would say. Um, you know, everything I could find, and I wrote this paper in 2004. And that's kind of where I really learned chair work. I would say that process over the couple of year period, that's my foundation where I, I learned it. And then there's some more adventures that take place after that, but that's kind of my start. Yeah.
0: The rest of history. I uh, see. So yeah,
2: it's become, so funny. You've
0: become such a massive um, influence in a lot of people, and obviously one of the, you know, the, yeah. the only books that you can really sort of find, which is a, a super deep dive into chair work.
1: Which yeah. is called Transformational Chair Work, by the way. And so that's, that's interesting. We, the title of the book, would you say that was impacted by that one-session transformation?
2: Well, actually, so um, so I practiced chair work for seven years. Basically, chair work was my schema therapy you know, in, in the center. And then I was going to go to Europe, and I thought, well, um, I thought maybe i will go to Europe and I'll give some uh, I'll give some lectures on chair work. <laughs> and I put that out on the schema therapy uh, uh, listserv, and people said, "Oh, you're going to come train us." I said, "What train you? I didn't ever think about training you."
0: I think I was one of those people that emailed you. You were right? one of those people, yes,
2: you definitely were. And I was, I was going to a conference, a Gestalt conference, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you're going to have to uh, train these people," and it threw me into a deep panic. But I thought, well, let's figure out what to do. So turn. then you went the end, to like, figure. then you
1: went to like, okay, I'm going to learn by training.
2: Right, I learn, learn by training. <laughs> But I thought, what am I going to call this? And I remember sitting there and this kind of the the phrase came to me and I just said, I'll I'll trust my intuition and I'll go with it. But in 2008, you know, Chris, you, you know, did this, uh, created this training in London with a lot of our schema therapy colleagues were there. Mm -hmm. And I remember I did, um, I did a demonstration with ALP, you know, and I was very nervous. I don't know if I seem nervous, but I was very nervous, but we, I got, of got through it, I guess, well enough. No, no. And um, but that and that to me is the birth of birth of my training practice was that day that, that you created oh. for me. I'm very oh, grateful. So a July 31st, no. <laughs> 2008. You were you yeah. You that's helped
0: right. A grand career. super grand zero. Exactly. Fantastic. Yeah. So I always, how, it seems like a lot of your work. I mean, from looking at some of the you know, your papers and particularly your book focuses um, focuses on this what you describe as the four dialogue matrix. I mean, can you tell the audience a little bit more? I mean, you know, obviously, um, yeah, sort of give a, give us a bit of an overview for the people that are, are are new to the concept or or generally to chair work.
2: So um so actually there are two parts of that. One is the four principles and one is the four dialogues. Yeah. And they so the four principles um are kind of the foundation of all this is that first that it's very useful to see people's having different parts right so it's an affirmation affirmation multiplicity of self that we have different parts or modes or selves or whatever and that's useful to give you know voice to these different parts the third principle is that it's useful in healing for people to enact or reenact scenes from the past the present or the future which connects to psychodrama (laughs) and the fourth one is that the The goal of all of this work is strengthening what Freud called the ego, what we call the healthy adult mode, what I often call the inner leader. That's the true north of psychotherapy. And that's where everything is leading, right? And in schema therapy, we've seen in the early days, was a shift on the vulnerable child. We're now seeing, I think, a shift to the healthy adult. We've seen that over time. But the four dialogues came to me kind of in a revelation, I would say. I was meditating, and the image came to me, actually. But basically what I, I realized was that all of chair work, with all these different people who've used it, the whole thing can be collapsed into four basic stances. So the first one is, uh, we can talk about examples of this later, but giving voice of kind of, you know, either going to an emotion or going into a part and just speaking from that part, right? Or, or interviewing that part, or, but just, just like a one thing, isolating it. The second one is internal dialogues, which is a lot of what you guys are doing of mode dialogues, different parts talking to each other in some way, engaging in some sort of encounter with different parts of the self. And that's a lot of schema therapy, a lot of CPT for that matter, is in that world. The third one is telling the story. And um, you know and I do a lot with repetitive storytelling here. Actually, Rob, you and Eckert and Bruce Stevens' work is very helpful with what I call third-person storytelling or three-person storytelling, telling stories in different voices. We we do that a great deal. Yeah, nice. And we started with our own way in first person, but we've been we've really brought in your work. And the fourth one, our relationships and encounters, talking to other people. And that... When I, when I realized this model, it like completely changed my therapy practice, changed our training. It's not actually in my books. I discovered it after the book was written, um, and it really had this sort of elegant and effective way of doing doing chair work. It's it's, it's ironically it's a bit of a Gestalt I think for most people that we trained. <laughs> I don't think they really get why I'm so focused on these four dialogues. They like they basically want to how do I how do I do chair work? That's the question, right? But the more you know, we're really pushing this a lot. The more advanced ways to understand this framework of well, there are only four things you can you, you're going to do here. It helps you really to be much more effective. So that's. Uh, that's can you say reward. something more,
1: a little bit more about the fourth dialogue, about like this new one?
2: Well, the, well, the the, the four I new, but you mean the relationships and encounters, or is is that what
1: you're saying that there's a fourth one that wasn't in the original book?
2: No, all four of them are not in the original book. Ah, okay, I understand. But we yeah. didn't we didn't have that model then. Um the original model I worked with is kind of more like a recipe model, um, which was like if you have depression, do this. If you have addiction, yeah. do that, if you have trauma, do this. Yep. And yeah, it has these
1: clinical dialogues. What was it called? Clinical um, dialogues, right. I've still got it. It's an awesome document you you've made Thank you have made. Because I did the training uh, before probably before the um, you know, the difference. Yeah
2: but it was it it was a clunky model you know it wasn't um it, it wasn't aesthetically beautiful it was very f- effective to train people <laughs> but then i studied voice dialogue i don't know if you're familiar with yeah, voice dialogue i've heard of it yeah and and that was the difference that made the difference i i didn't fully grasp the power of that model but that was the for me the missing ingredient and then i could see all four ways of working yeah. so uh so that's that's the uh and that's the unique thing for our training is that we we have the four dialogues. Nobody else really has that model. Um. Yeah.
1: So, so I can see that you've you've gone in strongly into chair work, and you, you talk about maybe struggling a little bit with uh, efficacy with imagery early. Do you do you tie those things together? Like your effort to go more into the chairs was because you didn't feel comfortable or efficacious as 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 you'd like to be with the imagery.
2: Actually, um, no, I, I liked imagery for a while we were teaching, actually teaching imagery in our training. We had an imagery, imagery module. We've got like imaginal chair work, you know, in a way. Um, imagery is really good for like, I think, early childhood, you know, trauma, going in, defending the child. I mean, it's, there's nothing that really can compare with that. Um, but imagery is, is limited. I think it's it basically, it's kind of, playing with a story maybe playing with uh relationships and encounters but chair work is much more expansive and you and also you can combine the two you can do imagery first and then move to chairs and have more dialogues so um
1: so what are you what what's your sort of internal criteria for that like what's the advantages of chair work over imagery
2: One of the um well you you keep, if you're doing modes chair work's the way to go if you want to talk to a specific part, chair work is the way to go. If you want to have a powerful dynamic with other human beings as an adult, chair work is the way to go. And if we're doing the storytelling stuff, imagery and you know, chair work is also a way to kind of deal with, deal with trauma. I'm not sure that adults are going to buy the rescripting stuff about adult trauma, maybe it's to some degree. Yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah, we're yeah. Protect, protecting, I mean, you guys are the experts on this more than mm-hmm. I am, obviously. But mm-hmm. protecting the child, that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, you know, and going in schema therapy, using it as a diagnostic tool, of course, is, is very useful. But so we, th-
0: we have a lot of people that, um, you know, um, are looking for ways to use experiential techniques, particularly chair work. But I'd be interested for, just from you, for your perspective, you know, what, what would you say would be the, the crucial, you know, or key elements to get someone to use it and weave it into schema therapy work initially? Um, Would there be any kind of advice to anyone that you can see the central um, form of of the approach to be used?
2: Well, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I think you need to decide if you're going to be a schema therapist. Because schema therapy is an experiential psychotherapy. Yeah, no. And I think that that actually is kind of an existential decision, which you can actually do in chair work with the person you're training. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about whether they want Absolutely. to let's do, do chair
1: work about whether you want do to do chairwork about it. exactly. Perfect. Um, I like it. Say well, more.
2: Yeah. So um so I think that's kind of the first thing. The second thing, if I were training somebody, I have some notes on the stage.
1: We're getting incredibly meta, Scott
0: um i guess it relates um, to what you were saying before about you know there are particular strengths and advantages of doing a chair work exercise or you know some sort of work around that like working with blocking modes or working with you know talk this is dad dad's in the seat is it and there's and i don't know if people can't see the visuals here but my there's a reason why i have a seat in the background probably similar to you right. <laughs> you know
2: you know i guess um,
0: yeah so, anyway,
2: so the other thing is like you know why do people have resistance they're afraid that's one reason why mm. so actually let's talk to the part of you that's frightened of doing chair work or the fear of doing it like i'm going to lose control or it's going to be too powerful or i don't know what to do or i'm going to start i'll, I'll run out of things to say you know the other part of it is the inner critic right perfectionism you know so these are in the voices the heads of the therapist this is a chance for you actually to work with this with your the people you're training just to play with this but their own resistance is a mm. way to do chair work. Um, and then you know, I think next step is like, you know, you say you be a patient and like you know, the two of you, you do chair work with them and they 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 play patient and then in reverse roles. So I think in the training you can bring the chair work into it, they get much more comfortable uh doing it. In terms of going into real therapy, do small steps, do a little bit. You know, I often say to people like, you know, you know, tomorrow in, in your session, just say somebody mentions their father, say, Well, imagine if your father was here, what would you say to him? Yeah. Don't even worry about the chairs. Just worry about playing with that and, and understanding parts and playing with other people. So there's
1: a real you know, playfulness you know. to you, Scott. I can definitely attest to that. That's something <laughs> I, I can remember learning to like getting out of a rigid idea about steps. And and there is a real that's something I definitely took from the training. Like like not really? to be rigid, not to be um thinking, oh, I have missed a step or something, but just letting the process unfold with playfulness. Um, can you speak to that? Like, how did you develop that?
2: Um, I think, I mean, I'm very drawn to play. Um, play is very important to me. I think, uh, I think a little bit of my, my own sort of childhood wounding was a sense of I didn't get to play enough. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 just my own history. At one point, I was a musician. I played music. At one point, I was a martial artist. you go playing, playing martial arts. You're a performer. Playing, playing has been a uh, a big theme. And you know, the trainings were on stage. We're kind of playing. You know, there's a whole playfulness to get right.
0: It, is a, a is a, part, is a, part of me. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's a feedback that we often see with a lot of clinicians. They they want to get it right, and you know, you know, and, the, and then there's some principles and guidelines, and even even for ourselves, a lot of our training material we've changed some of the titles to guidelines, just to help people you kind know, of have a bit of a, an idea. But being rigid with principles, particularly with chair work, you know, do, do you got any comments around you know, therapists, you know, rigidity and
2: you know. Yeah, well, I think they're afraid. Um, So I think, you know, I think I had a a therapist learn to do chair work. I would say, um, again, you need to decide you want to do this, or at least you decide you want to consider consider doing it, right? That's one thing. Um, But, you know, um, immerse yourself in the literature. Your tapes are great. You know, Um, I have a video on YouTube, books, you know, um, practice with yourself. You know, I do chair work with myself all the time. I do chair work with different parts of myself. I do chair work throughout my feelings with patients. You know, I do that a lot. If you're in therapy, do chair work with your therapist. Even if your therapist doesn't know how to do chair work, having a witness totally escalates the emotional level, right? And um, so, you know, and one thing I'm trying to, I try to get, which is somewhat lost by other chair work trainers Amanda and I, we're trying to get to very high levels of emotional emotion and effort. Yeah. And that's what we, and we do a lot of what we call deepening techniques, repetition. A lot of our colleagues do not do that and their and their chair work is maybe not as intense as ours. Yep. And intensity does lead to yeah. I definitely got
1: that from your training too, Scott. I definitely got, you know, that we'd already done the chair work where we'd done the training and stuff, but you had you had a lot of sort of different take on it with deepening techniques and whatnot. That changed my practice, yeah.
0: Can you explain, I know where you're coming from, but you have some examples of deepening techniques, you know, for right. our listeners.
2: So uh, let's see how I do this. Um, repetition is a good one. Yep. So, so uh, you know, you might say just what you said, so so what you say? I want an example of, of a deepening technique. Why don't you say that, Chris?
0: I want an example of a, a deepening technique. Say it again. I want an example of a deepening technique. Say it again. I want an example of a deepening technique. Say it louder. <laughs> I want an example of a deepening technique. Yeah, <laughs>
2: right. So, and I remember right.
0: from doing training with yeah, you in the past, yeah. the <laughs> easiest thing that I picked up was like, say it again. Say it 20% louder. Say it like you mean it. But yeah. like this crescendo of... <laughs>
2: Yeah, and really that's just perfect.
1: kind of something a um, bit random. But imagine if 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 the words you're saying are, you know, I, I'm never enough. Right. Say it again. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. So what? So one thing that we do, which usually attracts the most reaction, um, was what um, they call used to call feeding a line, which basically I say to people say this once, you know, and then you don't have to say it again. Or I say, if this feels right, say it. If it doesn't feel right, don't say it. So I, you probably don't know this, Rob, but we we were in Sydney together at that training.
1: I do remember, yep.
2: There was a Gestalt therapist there, and this happened to me in Sydney, also happened to me in Melbourne. Uh-huh. Um, and when I did a demonstration, she came up, she said, I just want to tell you this, I'm never telling a therapist what to say, uh, never telling a patient what to say. Okay. And at the end of the training, two days later, or the next day, she said, I am always telling a patient what to say. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It is so powerful, Mm. but many therapists have a very negative reaction. I'm directing people, I'm giving words, you know. But when they
1: see. But the way I always interpreted the way you said that is like, try it on if you like it. If you don't, try it on. Just guide it,
0: right? So telling a person to say particular things might be saying something like, tell him, tell him, you know, that your dad is in the seat. Tell him you're sick of this. Tell him you're sick of it. Don't protest. You you do that
2: that kind of stuff, Chrissy. I've seen you on your videos. So one way I look at this is when we suggest a person say something, we basically are creating a path to a destination, right? And then they can go to that place if they want to, or they cannot go to that place if they don't want to. But if you take a more kind of traditional gestalt or psychodynamic perspective, and you wait for that person Mm. to get there by themselves, Mm. you may be waiting forever.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: because we when you that, yeah. when we give them the words we essentially are carrying them, we're modeling for them, we're giving them permission. There's so many amazing things in that work. Mm. but it's so misunderstood and it gets such a bad reaction initially from our colleagues yeah. it's been it's the one thing they we always get pushed back on totally. but it's yeah.
1: this idea of the healthy adult that's missing sometimes in another model like the idea of modeling our role as a, as a model of healthy networks of, of healthy behaviors.
2: Um, I'm kind of a, I mean, I think I alternate between being, um, I don't know if you know the four male archetypes, but I kind of, you know, king, warrior, magician, lover, if that means something to you, but I kind of go between warrior and lover, that I'm kind of, I can be very aggressive, you know, and Jeff, of course, modeled incredible aggression towards uh-huh. the music right? Yeah. So I can be very, and, and also very much like, empathy and I see this child compassion. And, oh my god, you're such a beautiful child. I can't believe you're in this terrible messed up situation. And you know, I kind of go between those two. I have uh, to
1: ask you as a as a little segue, because it's perfect. I was waiting for a segue like this. Um uh, you know <laughs> your approach with these two archetypes, what did you call it? The the, the warrior and the the was it the mother? Uh, warrior and lover. And lover, sorry, the warrior and the lover. Uh when you're dealing with critic interjects, right? um you know as you as you point out i think a lot of the the videos that are out there and the way that schema therapy and jeff for example uh would would basically deal with punitive critics would be the more warrior right the more rejecting limit setting let's get him out of here that kind of approach
0: what's wrong with you that kind
1: of thing right that's the sort of <laughs> <laughs> We've heard uh, these videos. Wait, look i've been sort of on our podcast and different things we talk to different trainers that there's sort of different camps where folks would either just stick with that or maybe look at it from another perspective like that in other words there's other ways to skin a critic um maybe that include more let's say either compassion focused dialogues or even things like befriending the critic i mean what's your take on on that on that argument
2: so my take is there actually are two different kinds of critics they are two distinctly different critics um and i have so we look at the we look at the work of jeff um we look at the work of the gouldings also yep. um they basically are tra- these are trauma focused therapies right schema therapy is a trauma focused therapy yep. right and they see the inner critic as an internalization of an abusive figure right and um Basically, they're, they're they can be quite malevolent. They can be very dangerous. You look at transactional analysis. They say this, they say these voices can kill the patient. Yep. You know they're treated as and just like Jeff, you set up a barrier. You know you yep. don't get to talk to them. This harshness. Yep. The other view, which I learned really from the um, the stones and voice dialogue, was that the the critic actually develops early on in the child's life as a protector. Yeah. It's trying to keep the child safe, and um, so it's actually a coping mode. So this is not a model we have in schema therapy at all.
1: Yeah.
2: So the first thing I do, we I do kind of what we call giving voice. I actually talk to the critic, and I want to know who the critic is, and I want to make a differential diagnosis: Is this critic a protector or is this an internalized you know oppressor? Yeah. And if it's an oppressor, then you're know, going to work with the patient to say, you know, you are not to be listened to. You are evil. If it's if it's a, if it's a uh, coping mode, if it's a, sort of you know, it's basically like every coping mode. You've been helpful to me, but you're out of out you of take control. Take more of
1: an empathic confrontation stance. Where oh, you we want need to, to
2: have a new relationship. Yeah. Um, in general, they tend to be in North America, at least they tend to be coping modes. The yeah. Jeff's model is much it's much more rare than what I'm seeing over and over again. But again, with the borderline patients where there's so much trauma, I can see why he went yeah. to that model. And, and so psychodynamics, very- Freudian, you know, Freud had the same internalization of oppressor model. But the coping model is is one I think we need to really bring in mm. to schema therapy. Yeah, I, I can't agree weird.
1: more. I, I really love that, Scott. I think, and so it sounds like a really a horses for courses approach where based on your assessment, you're, you're checking to see what kind of critic this is. Is this basically a critic that wants to destroy the client? versus, you know, in a weird way, trying to help the client survive. And -hmm. if you can make that differentiation, then your approach would be different.
2: It's sort of of amazing. It's not at all obvious which way it's going to go.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally, mm -hmm." totally. So you can't tell. It might look really harsh on the surface. Um, but it, one of the things I found with this is is simply to interview the critic, almost like interviewing a coping mode. Right, that's, that's exactly yeah. what we do. Yeah, things like yeah. To the say, critic. hey, what's you know, what are you doing around? When did you develop? What do you wish for, little Johnny?
2: You know, right. So, so if, like if like Susie's got a voice saying she she's too fat, she needs needs to lose weight. A protector critic will say she needs to lose weight, otherwise people won't like her or she'll be rejected. Yeah. The, the oppressive critic will say, "You know, she's a fat slob and she deserves to to die." Yeah, you know, that's when you can really. And really it doesn't say, matter
1: what you say; that's the truth, and she needs to die. Yeah, and I'm she's just so safe.
2: ugly, and she's so hideous. You know, that the hatred comes pouring through,
1: and that's so, not something that you're willing to deal with as a therapist. We would set a, a limit on that,
2: right? We, you got to battle that one, and that's yeah. where Jeff. You know, um,
1: that stuff
0: is uh, coming into its own.
1: So that's that's where you 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 lie on that. That's. That's cool. That's great to hear.
0: So, Scott, you're coming to Australia uh, and you're doing a world tour. You've got merchandise, it sounds like. You've got T-shirts and headbands and hats. Can we get a cap? Um, I'll be in the merch stand at the back. <laughs> well, I'm a, it's difficult. You're not coming to Perth, so I'm unfortunately unable to go. But they're lucky um, people in different cities um, around Australia can see you. But um, you also, you know, your long collaborator, Amanda Garcia Torres, is coming and, with you uh, to present, and yeah, can tell her, tell us a bit more about her role and 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 the the, the trip.
2: So she uh, so she came to a training of of mine in we were talking about this the other day, and I guess at the end of twenty of two thousand and thirteen, she was still a grad student. And she fell in love with chair work. And then she came another time and she actually did a, she did a demonstration with her and it was very powerful. And she was kind of completely sold on this. And she, so, you know, she kind of came and started helping me out and finished grad school, got her license and I trained her and she became kind of like my protege. Now she's my collaborator. And, um, so, you know, she's, she's a great therapist. She also, you know, I think, um, I've been very focused on understanding mechanisms of change I've been very focused on how does how do we help people heal rather than focusing on specific problems you know some people are like I love to dep- I'm a depression expert I'm an eating disorder expert I've been a little bit more like you know chair work how does this thing work so, but Amanda does all these things but she's very focused on trauma she's also very focused on BIPOC, and if you know the term bipoc if you have that in Australia black indigenous people of color okay. yep and, and very focused on LGBTQIA populations. Yeah. So she speaks and works with groups that I don't, you know, have a natural affinity for in, in terms of my work. So she's really brought an expansive view of chairwork and bringing it to new populations, which is great. Um, I think she's gonna do something in Sydney with, with Gilou. If there's Oh, okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, it's right, some kind of a
1: diversity it. conference. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think they're doing something together there. Um, but she's just so gifted, you know. Um and i think it's good to see you know kind of two of us wrestling with the same things and you know a man and a woman and you know our different energies playing out so i'm very fortunate to have her working with me and yeah you know she's a gifted gifted therapist
1: well i'm sure that folks will be benefiting from that in your workshops around around the country in australia um and going forward hey you know i've got to ask you something the like listening to you you've got this performance background yeah like in in as a musician, it sounds like is that fair to say that you you have that sort of performing element like to your personality?
2: Um, I don't know if it's in my personality, but um, you know, when I when I studied chair work is interesting. You know, chair work comes from Gestalt therapy, and Gestalt therapy does one of the few therapies. It always has a had a performance component to it. So yeah. So you know, it was just part of it. You you went and you did demonstrations of therapy. That was part of Gestalt therapy. I don't think any of the therapists therapy had that as an integral part. Fritz Perls
1: would do these performances, right? I've heard right. this. So he'd be in wherever, like California, with like I don't know, a thousand people watching him do chair work with some right. random person. Yeah.
2: So he, yeah, he would went to California. Is a long story, but he, um, I guess, was trying to figure out what to do and began to just began to do chair work on stage. I mean, he learned it from Marino, but it worked. And that. And he said, oh, let me try this again. And that's and that's how chair work got started actually on stage and by like, getting a positive response from the audience. Imagine the
0: heightening on that. That's just like, yes. high- <laughs> that's one way to heighten things. Now, now Scott, um, this is pretty important. You're in you know, a chair work. Um, are there particular types of chairs we need? Uh, cushion chairs, arm chairs, are, are they a, a, requ- a requirement or can we just get a chair
2: out and do we need chairs? Um, yeah. There is a story I want to tell you uh, that was—it's very beautiful. One of our colleagues, who's, who's given me permission to tell the story, we love um, a I'll story, her, Scott. We I'll love yeah. So uh, I was in Brazil, and and one of our uh, colleagues uh, came up on stage to work with me, and and had a very difficult childhood with a lot of feeling about not being loved by her parents, by her mother. And um so we were we were working with the child self and this child had been kind of dis- rejected in some ways by the parents. And I developed a kind of a mantra with her about um where I kind of said, you, you know, you say to this child, you are a blessing, not a mistake. You are a blessing, not a mistake. You are a blessing, not a mistake. And we said it together, you are a blessing, not a mistake. You are a blessing, not a mistake we over and over saying to the child, you're a blessing. Put the chair up close. You're a blessing, not a mistake. And then I had this moment where I kind of, I remember Fritz perls and I'd done this kind of thing before a little bit, but I also remember Paul Wachtel. I don't know if you know Paul Wachtel, but he was famous in America as a kind of a bridge, psychodynamic behavior therapist. kind of. And he was a teacher of mine, and he talked about getting other people to reinforce a message and I remember him teaching this in class. It came to me at that moment on stage. And I and I said to her, I said, so I said, Do you mind if people touch your shoulder? Is that okay? And she said, Yeah. So um, I said, So, you know, I put her down into the audience. And I said, Um, you know, so if you think that this woman is a blessing and not a mistake, come up and, and touch her on the shoulder, right? So this is something I'd done before. But with, anyway, we have 200 people in the audience, oh. right? And, but I don't realize that I'm in Brazil, right? And in Brazil, we're not going to touch somebody on the shoulder. We're going to hug them and we're going to cry all over them. Ah. And we're going to, you know, tell them that you love them. So this took like 20 minutes.
0: Of wow.
2: People hugging hugs, her, crying over her. And um, it was, everybody was crying. The whole place was crying, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And then she came back on stage finally i'm looking at my watch like this is taking forever you know we kind of wrapped it up but the next day she came to see me and she looked completely like a little different person she said i couldn't even sleep last night and um she started singing to me i was just i was very moved She said, you, you, you've changed me this changed me this experience and it's five years later, and and she's. I saw her in in Copenhagen. She said, "You know, you co- you completely changed my life in that thirty minute demonstration." Yeah,
0: yeah. wow. So that's
2: yeah. you know that was just like that's like a miracle. You know, just the power. So I think that's
0: the power. One of the,
2: so one
1: anyway, of the appealing things, isn't it? With appealing things of chair work, and and I guess imagery is the same. Is you don't have it all the time, but there can be these one session like powerful, like one-session wonder thing where you can be plugging away for 10, 20 sessions, but then it's this one session that that, that just lands.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, and also in live demonstrations, the emotions are so high, it's much higher than will be in, in your therapy oh, practice. They just...
1: 300 hugs. That's like yeah. how much limited reparenting dose did you just get? <laughs> this massive shot in the arm.
2: Yeah.
0: It's, it's interesting. It speaks that it's, sometimes it's, a, it's on the drama rather than the chair. I am getting the feeling from you that you know there's the uh, not that wouldn't say the drama even probably not the right word but the emotional intensity of the act is is much more sort of focal rather than you know I, I right. do get a lot I mean I guess the question initial question came from a lot of people getting quite uh, fixated on chair work being about chairs per se. Right. And, and I'm just interested, you know, yeah. Do you, say do you Do you see yeah, it?
2: We have two sayings. One saying is like, chair work has nothing to do with chairs. Chairs yeah. are about giving voice to parts and enacting stories. Yeah. Um, and I'll get to your question about the furniture in a second. Um, but chairs are very, very useful, you know, uh, instruments. You don't need to use chairs, but they're very useful things, you know, and, and it's the tradition. That's what we call it, chair work, you know because it's but so chairs are great they're a great tool but they it's not necessary um now in terms of the chairs you want your chairs to be identical if you can if that can be possible and if they're not identical you want to be aware of that that is you don't want to inadvertently put the inner critic in the great chair (laughs) and the the person in the terrible chair (laughs) or you want to ask the person which chair do they you know want to be cognizant of the chairs themselves you know um Eckhart likes to um, make the healthy adult chair a little bit taller. Yeah, I don't tend to have that kind of flexibility. I just have you know, I've chairs that are identical in my office. I've they're all yeah. chairs all the same. Um, but yeah, it's not the end of the world. But you know, you just, you just got to be careful with it. One, my sort of Zen aspiration with the four dialogues, um, which you know, some days I get closer, some days I don't, is to really let the chairs do all the work you know, basically get, find out what the problem is, get them into the chairs, kind of guide things, but let the, let the energy take place there and not be editorializing, not be talking about all these schema mode parts, not be teaching people, but letting the chairs do the work. So that that's kind of that's a the dream. That's the dream. That's our kind of Zen, you know, goal that we strive for. Yeah. So you'd just be
0: saying,
1: sit over here.
2: Okay. Sit so over here and there, there's your father. You know, Just talk to your father. What is he saying? Even...
1: Okay. So take this. Sit over here. Okay, let's change this. Sit over here.
2: <laughs> you know, I mean, and and I do, you know, one thing you might, you haven't asked me, but it might be interesting to people, is I do chair work on the very first session when a patient comes to see me. So when they come for consultation, I always do chair work. So that way that patients always know what they're getting in, into.
1: Because right. there's a socializing aspect, isn't there? If you very quickly getting into chair work or imagery and saying, hey, you know, this is normal. This is like what we're doing. Well, yeah.
2: Can you? So I another, mean, question, I, another question is coming my way. I can feel it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is what, what do you do if the patient doesn't want to do the chairs? Right. I think you.
1: Right? So, Scott, what do you do when the patient doesn't want to do chair work?
2: That's a great question. You know that. <laughs> um, so if you're a schema therapist, Right. And I, I say this in public a lot. You absolutely have to insist that the patient they have to do chair work or they have to do imagery work or they need to go see another therapist. Okay. You cannot compromise on those two things because that is the defining aspect mm. of therapy.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And you have to draw a very hard line with patients about that. Otherwise, and I and why do I say this? I talk to patient therapists who've not done this and they're in huge trouble. With their patients, yeah. they can't even work right now. If you know CBT, you can just switch your therapy right mm-hmm. now. Having created that hard line, which I've never actually had to enforce, the question is: What you know? Why are you worried about the chair work? Right then, we let's get in. What is the fear? What mm-hmm. are you afraid is going to happen? Let's explore this clinically. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you do that, you know, they'll get get to it.
1: So, in other words, yeah. you insist to 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 do chair work
2: about why they can't do chair work. You do, exactly, you can do that which is great. But the other thing is the more into the therapist, this is like a linear relationship in statistics, the more the therapist is into the chair work, the less resistance you get. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I was going to say to you, is there, a, I often, if you, if you buy in, they'll go with the right, you know? Yeah. So is that your experience too, that, you know, if you're confident, you look, yeah, even if I you like don't that. feel I like that idea. You know, that, yeah, you, come on. And I hold like the
1: here. imagery of that linear relationship. So no. if you're not confident, not sure, if the therapist doesn't really want to go there, you find um, they tend to have clients that won't do chair work. Whereas Scott Kellogg has every client doing it in the first session.
0: Yeah,
1: with very and little that,
2: resistance. You know, every now and then a patient says, "I don't really like working this way," and that's and that's fine. But my, you know, I I mean, like the high 90s in terms of retention, and people come to see me, and people now come to see me because. They maybe they know about undue chair work. They don't really know what it is, but for schema therapists though, it's very important that that we not comprom- We cannot compromise on work or imagery work. It's absolutely or or you're not a schema therapist and you're really in trouble. Yeah, you know, and and for some patients, some therapists get don't like it when I say that, but I I think it's absolutely necessary because you've you've lost. You're like, it's hard to do this work already. Now we're tying our hands behind our back on top of it.
1: I always get the idea in my head of being like a neurosurgeon and they're saying you can't use a scalpel or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Put it down. That's I want weird. brain surgery, but you can't use a scalpel.
2: Right. But if you know CBT or something else, you can do another therapy if you want to do that. But you kind of, you know. Um... It's just not. Also, why, why, why is the patient here? You know, That's another question. Why are you coming to this therapy if you're going to fight the therapist? You know, that's an interesting question. And why are you going to a therapist if you I mean if you had a choice and you don't want to do what they want you to do? So all yeah, well, these, these are all modes, right? These modes we can analyze the modes and evaluate like, what, what what part got triggered inside of you or what's your you know let's, let's do dialogue between the part that wants to do it and the part that doesn't, you know. So
0: yeah, yeah. wonderful. Funny Scott, it's been fantastic. We would we could easily spend another uh, hour on this. <laughs> I have got a feeling maybe we might uh you have to sort of reach out to see you again. It's been fantastic, very, very illuminating and reaffirming discussion. Um, Sounds great. You and
1: you're going to be in Melbourne soon, and Sydney. Does that sound right?
2: Melbourne, <laughs> Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, and uh, sorry, Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, and Sydney.
0: And do you want to plug any other uh, resources to listeners we you know we we had some lovely people from Brazil contact us this week about listening listening to the podcast we have we have a lot of people around the world listening hello everyone yeah. um, Brazil's been a bit of a theme
2: yeah, yeah it's a big it's a big scheme of therapy country there in Brazil is there is there right. any uh, particular resources or anything that you want to plug sure if you go to my website transformationalchairwork.com, there's a lot of resources there there's a video on youtube and I would send them to also to um, Amanda's website, um, dot com, And also, we have an Instagram, transformational chairwork on, on Instagram. So that's a good place to go. Appreciate Thanks for coming down, Scott. We look Bye.
1: forward to catching up with you maybe face to face if we can soon. All right. Yeah, take care. Take care, Bye-bye. man. We'll talk soon. Bye.
0: Ciao.